Hello, and welcome to the Burning Coal Theater's podcast series, Into the Fire, with Jerome Davis. Hello, this is Jerry Davis, the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company. I'd like to welcome all of you to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. This week we have as a guest Hector Salgado, who is the Executive Director of the Alliance for AIDS Services in the Carolinas. Hector, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. We uh, have asked Hector to participate. Uh, he's uh, involved with the production that we're doing, The Normal Heart by Larry Kramer, which opens on January 18th and runs through February 4th at Burning Cold, which is located at 224 Polk Street in Raleigh. The production uh, is about the early days of the AIDS epidemic, uh, particularly in New York City, uh, where many people became ill very uh, suddenly and over a very short period of time began to exhibit uh, considerable symptoms that often led to death. There was almost no um, response to this from the government, uh, from the media, and even from health services uh, in New York and other major metropolitan cities. And uh, one of the gentlemen uh, who worked uh, in the, um, the gay community as an activist, Larry Kramer, uh, wrote a play called The Normal Heart, and the play was so um, incendiary and frankly so good that it uh, created a bit of an uproar and it kind of nudged the New York Times and other media outlets into moving stories about this uh, growing epidemic uh, from the back pages to the front pages of the paper and from there um, action uh, took place uh, slowly but surely. Uh, Hector, can you tell us just a little bit about your organization, the Alliance of AIDS Services here in the Carolinas? Sure. So uh, the Alliance of Aid Services provide, uh, provides free and confidential testing and care services. Um, so we have several programs. Our AIDS programs provide all of our testing, and we're um, out in the community doing testing in the clubs. We're doing testing in uh, different clinics. We're doing testing um, in mobile, mobile homes. I mean, we're, we're kind of all over the place. Um, so people could go to our website at aas-c.org to kind of see a listing of all of our testing sites. Um, and we also provide uh, support groups. So our CLEAR program is a program for people that are living with HIV, um, whether they're newly diagnosed or people who have fallen out of care. Um, and it's a one-on-one -on -one session um, with our CLEAR counselor. Um, and then the other component to that is a group level session um, where the clients can come together and have a conversation about how they're living with HIV. Mm -hmm. um, we also have um, support groups that for people that are coming out of the closet or, you know, I, we call them support groups, but we are, our clients kind of call them like chill groups because sometimes it's, it's um, you know, people who are maybe just 18, somebody who's 25 who just came out and it, it'll be the first time that they say that they're identify as anything mm -hmm. um, or don't identify at all. So it's a very, it's a very interesting space. Um, and we do work with the LGBT Center of Raleigh and the LGBT Center of Durham. Um, so we're going to be starting support groups there as well. Very good. And uh, the, the testing services are free to the public or is there a charge for that? Absolutely free. Um, I almost forgot we have a, <laughs> our big program is our, our food pantry too, which is open to the community. Right. Um, so our food pantry is open Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. 
and it's for people that are living with HIV and for people that identify as low income. Um, and again, all of our services here are completely free. You told me just before we began this interview that you had started <coughs> with about 60 families and, and you've grown considerably in the last couple of years. Yeah, so um, two years ago, I'm a Chicago transplant, um, so I was brought in uh, two years ago uh, to head up the organization and the food pantry used to service 60 families a year um, and now we're servicing 234 families. And tell um, me, uh, where, where does the food come from? Um, who, who donates it or where do you, do you have it provided through grants? Um, unfortunately, we don't have any grants. It's something that we're definitely trying to work on. Um, we buy the food at the food bank, at the food shuttle. Um, we get donations from churches. Um, we do a lot of events such as our drag bingo events that happen quarterly and those events support the, the food for the pantry and part of the position for the food, uh, food pantry coordinator. I see. And uh, just so we can get this at the front of the podcast rather than waiting till the end of it, uh, tell us your, your website again and where your offices are located. So we're located at 1637 Old Lewisburg Road. Um, of course, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and our website is aas-c.org. Very good. And uh, this, the suggestion in the name is that you service both North and South Carolina, is that correct? Um, at one point, the organization um, had multiple offices, um, but as of a few years ago, we're the only office. Uh, so with the restructuring and the loss of funds, when there was a big shift from prevention to abstinence, um, we lost a lot of funding. Right. Um, so I think that there's, yeah, our vision has always been to be able to expand. Um, and that's, I think, why the uh, founders put North Carolina so at the end of our name. Mm -hmm. Tell me uh, tell me about Chicago. You grew up there, you were born there? I was born in Puerto Rico. Um, and my parents moved to Chicago when I was five years old. Um, so uh, I am now 36. So it was, Chicago is definitely was home um, and I've started doing prevention work, um, volunteering and whatnot, I think when I was 19 years old, 18, 19 years old. About half your life. Yeah. God. <laughs> and were you involved in an organization uh, prior to coming to North Carolina? Yeah. Um, so prior to taking this position, I was doing cultural competency training all around the country with uh, Howard Brown Health Center. Um, and before that, I was the associate director at uh, Project Vida, um, which is a small CBO similar to the Alliance, um, and actually where I started volunteering. How did you connect with the Alliance? Uh, was, there, was there a job opening posted, or did you just happen into it? How, how did that I think I blacked that out somehow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> my family, somehow, my sister was living in Florida, my mother was in Puerto Rico, my sister moved up to South Carolina and Greer, um, and my mother was spending a lot more time visiting her during the summer. Um, met a man at the church. They got she got remarried. Um, so then my family was telling me, "Come move to South Carolina." And the weather in Chicago was so horrible um, that I was like, "I can't do South Carolina, but I could do North Carolina." So I started looking for positions, um, and somehow they contacted me. I can't remember how it worked out. Um, but I applied um, and received the position, so I haven't looked back since. Is there is there a difference in the um, way the community has uh, accepted the work your organization's doing from what you saw in Chicago? Or Night and similar? day. <laughs> really? Tell me about that. Um, 
I was not prepared for, it was almost a little bit of culture shock, um, particularly with communities of color here. Um, because in Chicago, I'm used to, we prepare condom packets when we go out to the club. So we're at the clubs, we hand people condoms and they, they take them. Most people are grateful to have free condoms and lubrication. Um, and here it's kind of a mixed bag. So now the, the campaign is kind of, how do we, these, I think there's always been an issue. Uh, there's always been a stigma with HIV, but I hadn't expected a stigma around condoms, and that's what I'm. That's what we're dealing with. So we're kind of a step behind that, <laughs> and we're trying to address the stigma with the condoms. Any any idea of why that would be the case? <sighs> um, I I don't know if it's just that the the population in Chicago was a little bit more progressive, um, because the one of the things the conversations that we were having. In Chicago, and mind you, I did, I, I did cultural competency training all around the country, but I've also been able to study um, and at NGOs in nine different countries doing HIV work. So whether it was India, Thailand, London, I mean, the working with sex workers, I think all those cultures kind of view things differently. So that's why a lot of the what I'm seeing is kind of some of the things that I've seen in, um, you know whether it developing was de- yeah, yeah i'm trying to say i'm like yeah. that's the politically correct way yeah. of saying this um, so, yeah. yeah so i i feel like that's what i've seen a lot more of like having conversations and almost that if somebody takes a condom they're admitting that they're gay or that they're engaging in gay sex mm-hmm. and i was and and that's so stigmatizing to some people that even though we know they may be doing it that you know so i think that that's yeah, that's the, one of the big barriers. The, the public expression of that is is um, uh, something that stands in the way of their um, their um, identity, I guess. One uh, one question I was going to ask. So you're about thirty. You said thirty five. Thirty six. Uh, thirty six. Um, so you were a, a, a very small uh, child when uh, the epidemic began, and mm-hmm. and uh, Larry Kramer was probably not on your radar at, at that time. Did is he, is that a name that means something to you outside the theater world? Yeah. So I think that with um, part of the the curriculum that we developed. Um, which I implemented in Chicago and we're starting to implement here, is just having conversations around history and around why there is an LGBT movement, why there was an LGBT movement, um, and kind of trying to give people power through role models and, and seeing, um, you know, we've, I, when we've had groups um, and I ask people, do you know why we celebrate Pride? You know, 80% of the kids in the group who just be like, just thought it was a parade or I just thought it was a party. Yeah, Yeah, and there's no no connection to Stonewall, no connection to our history, no connection to, you know, the movement, which means that there's no real pride in it. You Mm -hmm. know, so I think that that's one of the the really sad things is just that we've been robbed of our history um, and that there's no easy way for people to gain access to that. So we try to have conversations around it. That's why we're super excited to be working with the play um, and to promote it, to make sure that people come out because our our goal is to make sure that we truly make people proud of who they are so that then they can love themselves more and take care of themselves more and, and engage in lower risk activity. You uh, have a fundraiser coming up in March, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, um, so March 16th is our drag bingo event. Um, 
Fifty Shades of something. I don't know what we're calling it yet, but you were still working um, on the title. The, yeah, the uh, the performers take care of all of all of that. They let me know. It's at the Durham Armory. People can go online and buy tickets. Uh, but this February seventeenth, we have a red ribbon ball, and it, it is our February. kind of our gala. Yeah, yeah. our gala event. Um, we have events every <laughs> so often, so that um, we do have one in March. But the February seventeenth one is the one that's coming up. And it's uh, we have Sidecar Social Club, so we have a live band, open bar, and it's it's a great night to come out and support the organization. We I think we know some of the people in Sidecar Social Club. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very good. Um, is uh, so so then the, I just want to talk a little bit about the, some some of the harder issues surrounding the normal heart. Um, w- one of the reasons why. Um, Kramer met with resistance in the uh, the general public is the idea in the early 1980s that homosexuality was something that that did stay in the closet that should stay in the closet, but within the gay community he met with resistance also in his argument because he was essentially saying until we know what this epidemic is we have to change our behavior, and because the the Stonewall movement and the Pride movement that followed that had had put, uh, had allowed people to begin to publicly express their identities more. They felt that he was an impediment to that, um, and so I guess my question for you is: um, Do you see people in the in, in the gay community who still feel that way about the act of? Um, safe sex, uh, uh, you know, is that still considered uh, something that's an impediment to the expression of identity? Yes, <laughs> I think that, um, so one of the initiatives that we're trying to do now is do, um, give out condoms and lube, um, and even if we're allowed to do it, um, provide testing at sex parties, um, which is a radical <laughs> idea, right? Um, But it's something that I did in Chicago. I mean, you go on Craigslist and you'll see that people are hosting sex parties. You reach out to them and I've never had an issue before. Um, Again, in Chicago, they would say, hey, okay, and they would literally put me in a closet (laughs) and I would stand out there and hand out condoms and lubes or they'd let me go in beforehand and fill up bowls and, and put them out. Here, we don't even get a response. Um... So we've kind of been sneaky about it. Um, and we, one of our employees will kind of message the person hosting the party as a p- potential participant to engage in the conversation. So it, and they're responding to them. Um, so now we're just, now that we have at least a dialogue going, now we're trying to sneak in the message of like, we're not even gonna push testing yet. We're just gonna be like, can we just drop off the following things? Um, and it, so it, it is difficult um, unnecessarily so and I think that unfortunately the people have forgotten about HIV um, we just had a couple of months ago a young man who just turned 18 um, turned out positive and after he was told that he was HIV positive he's like okay are you guys gonna give me the pill here and we're just like pill you know and, and he's like yeah I heard that there was a pill you know the cure and then they're like there's no cure for hiv yeah so he'd heard about prep and he mistook that for a cure you know so we had to educate him on what living with hiv means and there's just such a disconnect and and this thing that i feel like that's why this is important for us to reflect on history 
and the lessons of history because people think that it can't happen to them. Right. And yet we've seen an increase every year for the last three years of new HIV infection rates in North Carolina. The same reason why more young people die behind the wheel. They, they think they're invincible at that point and it can't happen to them. Uh, where are we in that research? Uh, we don't have a cure, um, but we have better uh, ways of living with the disease. Um, are we ever going to have a cure, do you know? I hope so. I hope to be out of business. <laughs> That's my goal. Um, but I, I think that even with the medications, it's always hard um, because it, what we see is just that if somebody is on their meds um, and is taking care of themselves, which means proper nutrition, you know, no smoking, you know, moderate alcohol intake, um, they can lose five to seven years of their life. Um, but they can still, you know, live a healthy, full life. Now, when you compound that with people that may not have health insurance, that may not have access to medication, that may not have stable housing, like all of these things take more and more years. Uh, and, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that people that have the financial means to, you know, stay healthy, stay healthy, and that the poor people basically get screwed and continue declining in health. And education is part of that uh, uh vicious circle as well, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, the poorer ones are not getting the kind of education that they need to understand what the, uh, the facts are about the, the disease. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say about your organization before we uh, wrap up for today? Yeah, um, I think that the, just to go back to, to the education piece, I think that people can know that I have to take my meds every day, but if I don't know where I'm gonna sleep today, that may not be my priority. It's a lot um, harder to... Yeah, so that's why for us, we that's why the food pantry started because we saw that people were having issues with basic needs like feeding themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that the Alliance is here to provide non-judgmental care. So when I do testing, and I, I often do testing myself, it's people say it's, it was my first partner or I had 100 partners this year. Non-judgmental care means non-judgmental care. And what we want to make sure is that people have the information to protect themselves and that we're creating a space for people that are just trying to figure it out to feel safe, come in and have a conversation about what does it mean to identify as LGBT to them? Or what does it mean not to identify? Um, and just be around people that are sharing similar experiences so that we can try to figure it out together. Right. If people want to contribute to the food bank or to your organization overall, they can find information on your website about Definitely. how to do so. Okay. AAS-C.org. Very good. aas c.org. Oh. Uh, Hector, uh, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at uh, the Normal Heart uh, opening on January 18th and running through February 4th. Yeah, and we'll be there to answer questions after the play as well. So we invite everybody to come out and engage us in a dialogue. I that's think that's right. perfect after they see the play. They we're, can... doing, uh, we're doing talkbacks on the, the three Thursdays of the mm -hmm. run with uh, a member of your organization at each of those. And yes. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening, and be sure to check out our production, The Normal Heart, running from January 18th to February 4th, 2018, at the Murphy School in Raleigh. For more information, visit our website at burningcoal.org.